You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. What's up, AV nerds? Welcome to this week's episode of the Forever on the Fly podcast, your biweekly dose of aviation inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Diane. And I'm Jose. And we're here to get you guys hooked Hooked on on aviation. aviation. All right, guys, this week we're going to give the floor to our good friend Scott Booth to share his story. On February 10, 2018, he survived a fatal helicopter crash in the Grand Canyon. To learn more about the accident, please refer to the NTSB accident report online. On this episode, we wanted to give Scott the ability to share his story. It's one of courage and survival and mental resolution. Today, he shares his recollection of the accident, his recovery, his struggles, most importantly, his successes, and how music has aided in his mental recovery. He hopes to be an inspiration to anyone out there who's experienced extreme trauma and shares a beautiful message of courage and strength. We're going to give the floor to him now, and thank you for listening in. Scott Booth. It was just a normal, normal flight until it wasn't. Hey, I'm Scott Booth, and I'm forever on the fly. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for you know sitting down and chatting with us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's always good Here to see are. you. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, especially for my partner right here. I know, dude. I'm like super pumped to see you. Though. Yeah, I miss you. Yeah. So uh, Scott and I met. I don't know when. So when I first started to work for Papillon, and our old friend Isaac Etherington was leaving, and Scott was actually my first friend at Papillon. He uh, bought me a six pack of beer and brought me to my first bonfire. So I, I remember that. Yeah, I went to the bonfire and then just sparked this beautiful friendship that we have now. I'm really happy about that. Obviously. Heck yeah, dude! I know. First time I saw you, mean you were just joking it up. Just jaw jacking over there in the pilot lounge. Yeah, I think that has more to do with your personality than mine. You know. I'm- I'm uh, I'm more uh, standoffish. I think you're you're uh, more easier to approach. Standoffish. I've never heard you be described <laughs> no, as I don't think so either, dude. <laughs> as as that ever. Uh, definitely not in the list of words and adjectives that people use to describe you. Well, I love working there. You know, it's fun. Just it's like going to work with your friends. I don't want to say high school, but uh, but it's. I mean, I mean, I know I've been. I've said that many times. It was just like. Finally, finding a job where you can go and everyone's doing the same thing. Like the complaints are the same. That the love of what you're doing there is the same. That the 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 issues you have are the same. That not wanting to go back to the canyon one more time <laughs> after four, three times, three landings, and like you know, a couple of guys didn't show up today. You're gonna have to do four today, or we're shorthanded this month. You're gonna have to do four landings a day for a week straight. No problem. Let's just get it done. Whatever. I know I'm gonna have a week off later, so let's just get it done. But everyone, I just love that place because everyone just got together. I think no matter if you worked at Papillon or or Sundance, R.I.P. Sundance, or mm-hmm. or um, Maverick, or the other smaller ones. I think that the, the things are all the same. You're just like it's like a what is it, like the fraternity or sorority. I don't want to mm-hmm. discriminate, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like a um, definitely. We talk a lot about the camaraderie there. Yeah, on that's, this the, thing. that's the word I was going for. Like when I heard Isaac's voice, it got me happy because I was like, "That's a chill dude." Yeah, he's and a super I, chill dude. And and I remember he he told me he flies a helicopter with three engines. And I was like, damn, dude, three man, engine. where do you put the third engine? And he's like, no, one engine like starts it, and then the other two engines like fly it. And I'm like, well, do you need three pilots? He's like, yeah. I'm like, wait, so you need, so it's one engine per pilot? I'm, so how does that work? So we had to break it all down for me. We had to sit down over dinner. And I remember that night we were going to dinner, and one of the helicopter pilots says, hey, Scott, you want to have some supper? Like over the radio on the EC frequency. And I'm like, uh, yeah, who's it? He's all, it's, it's Rick. 
And I was like, sure. He's all, meet me at the Mexican spot in, uh, in Boulder City. And we'll have some supper. And then he rolled up. It was me and Isaac and him and just shot the shit for a couple hours. It was great, man. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. It's great hanging out with, like, like older dudes that don't drink because yeah, they, yeah. they've seen it all, right? They shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> like, 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 you want to have a drink. You're like, dude, Rick, just have a beer with me. Come on. We just flow, like, four hours today. Just have a beer with me. You don't want to see the top person I when I have that beer. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to open that yeah. can of worms. No, I, lo- I love my wife too much to have that beer. <laughs> I never met a. I never in my life to this day. I've never met a man like that loved his wife that much that couldn't wait to get back home to Texas to be with his wife on his week off. Couldn't like when he was out Papua. He couldn't wait to get home when he was in Texas. He, he didn't want to leave. I was like, damn, I, I'm never going to find that. <laughs> which, which guy was this? Um, Mr. Rick Neely. He flies, no. uh, he flies EM. He was a private helicopter guy and an airline guy. And then he flew, uh, he flew um, in, the, in the canyon for a, for a year or two. And then uh, he went part-time for a little bit and then went back to Texas. And he flies EMS in, out somewhere near Austin now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He, still, he still reaches out to me once in a while. Out of the blue, I'll get a text and... He'll just remind me, he's like, hey, it's Rick. I'm like, I know you are. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a great dude. But Do you want like, some supper? Do you want some yeah. supper? But like, oh, you know, sometimes you're flying along and, and you just hear like some weird stuff on that frequency. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're like, oh, my passengers hear this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember one time I'm, I'm flying and I hear, and I'm actually flying with one of the, the instructor pilots and I hear, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying with us today. I just really want to... Thank you. You know you have a lot of choices in flying in the uh, canyon, and really hopefully that you enjoyed yourself. You took some great pictures, and if you did, you know, just pilot appreciation is always, uh, ex- you know, expected. Except, I mean, except uh, you know what I mean. And, and then uh, when the guy's on the radio, he's like, he's like, that's an epic fail, man. <laughs> but he, he broadcast it. Which was he really, broadcast it, which was really funny because, and it was actually on the Boulder City frequency. So, I mean, not too many people were flying around for that, but. Um, I don't know who it was, but I, I don't know who who it was, but I do know one time, uh, uh, my good friend Jameson Jones, who who's a good dude, and there's some stories about him that are kind of funny. But he was flying in the canyon and he keyed the mic and started giving his whole speech about the most beautiful place on earth, which is the Grand Canyon. That's <laughs> <laughs> so we're listening. Like the whole everyone out flying that day, like probably twenty or thirty helicopters listening to this guy going. And this is just the most amazing, magical place on earth. <laughs> it's one of my favorite places on the Stuck Mike, bro. Stuck Mike. Yeah. I mean, you, could, you know, you can do a great whole segment on Stuck Mike's. Like the time I was at the uh, airport in, um, in, I just done a helicopter delivery back from Florida the other way. Normally I've done, I've done like five deliveries to Florida and then two down to Brazil from here, like through the Caribbean and all the way down through South, South America and countries that like, if you name them, people go, oh, they're in Africa. I'm like. Where's Suriname? Africa. Where's Guyana? Oh, Africa. Where's French Guyana? Africa. No, they're not. It's Venezuela, Suriname, Guyana. Well, sorry, Venezuela, Guyana, Suriname, French Guyana, then Macapá, Brazil. Basically, the huge where the Amazon jumps into the forest. Some gnarly flying, which I don't want to repeat. Yeah, I can do that. I could tell you stories. That's a good one I heard online once where this this guy says uh, he's taken off and out of like New York or it was it's either in England or New York. I can't remember. It's East Coast or, or England. He's and the the, air, the pilot asks for something, and the guy says, "Well, you know, I could approve that, but then you'd be over my uh, mother in law's house, and she's just a bitch, <laughs> or something, <laughs> some, something like that, or she's just hell to deal with. So I'm gonna have you turn early, okay?" Dude, you know? He's like, "Can we extend the downwind?" He's all, "Well, I'd let you normally, but that's my ex wife's neighborhood, so we're just gonna have to move that. Over. I don't want to hear them today." <laughs> you can find that one on YouTube as well. Nice. 
Well, at this point, Scott, if you're comfortable, would you mind talking about the accident? What happened that day? And uh, did you feel like the NTSB did you justice in their report? I don't know how I could just jump right in and just tell you like my last day there, which which was a bummer, as you guys know. I I, uh, I had two flights. I did a landing tour, which is great. And I, I don't remember the people. When you don't remember them, it's usually good because you've had thousands and thousands of passengers, right? But I had a landing tour and then I had an air tour and I was like, oh, I should be done today because that's two. It's a slow day. And then um, I remember that that they're like, oh, you're, um, you're – sunset landing to her soul and i'm like all right cool let's go back out there i didn't think anything of it because i've done it a million times well actually read later that i've done it like six or six or eight hundred times i can't give you the exact number but somewhere in there um yeah and then uh and it was a good flight until like i've, I've said this before it's, it was a good flight until it wasn't and uh and um you know i i, I just remember waking up and not not being in a good place and uh some lady giving me what you would call the equivalent of like the military last rites. I don't know if you ever seen the movie where like the soldiers are storming the beach and there's a like a, a navy chaplain or marine chaplain over them giving them like the, their last rites if they were a Christian or a Catholic. I think I've seen it in the movies, but that's what some lady was doing to me, and I was like, "Wow, this isn't good. This is really bad." And um, yeah, and then I woke up uh, um, in the hospital. I don't know how many weeks or months later, and. Um, like you guys were there, <laughs> which is yeah. which yeah. is really really nice because um, kind of goes back to what you were talking about all the um, the the camaraderie and the the family that you get from working where we did and the and flying together and maybe it's probably the true the true case flying anywhere in the world when there's a group of people that do something that there is an element of danger to it. Um, I think that you guys come together really well. You know, I, I know people when I worked in restaurants, you know. It wasn't dangerous, but they're like, oh, my God, another double. And everyone's, like, pulling together and everyone hangs out together. It was kind of like, I can't compare a restaurant to flying yeah, yeah. to flying in the canyon. But it was the same vibe of uh, everyone's get together. And I had I had um, so many people. One of the nurses who who later um, became very close to me <laughs> uh, told me that um, she was actually there when I woke up, which was really cool. Um, she can still tell me the story to this day. She's like, you woke up and we're like, where am I? Where's my Where's my MacBook Pro? <laughs> I'm like, I wanted my MacBook Pro. Like, I probably did because I I like I was on that thing all the time, right, for all my stuff. But um, one of the things she told me is that she hadn't seen that many people come to uh, to visit, and even though a lot of them like couldn't get in because of a lot of different reasons, and um, you know, keeping the infection level down pre COVID, non pre COVID. I was going to say pre COVID nonsense. But, Pre-COVID, you know, keeping the infection level down because I was really septic and susceptible mm-hmm. to diseases. So, um, but there was just so many people coming in and it was, that was a lot of love. And um, I think someone even made me like homemade like granola or something. Like that. Oh, that was me. <laughs> 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 I, well, I remember, yeah, you, um, I was like, hey man, is there anything that you, that you want or need? And you're like, yeah, I just need some like protein bars or like granola bars or something well, just food to like just, chew on. Yeah. The food I love. I mean, you got to give love to that hospital. Um, UMC in Las Vegas, they've saved a lot of people's lives and no matter who you are, they're going to take care of you. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, unfortunate that 
at a hospital on those levels can't get the food right, but that's okay. Like we're, we're not going to complain about because they let you bring in, um, your own food, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like once it's in the room, it can't leave to go get heated or something. So if someone brings you something nice and you're like, Oh, just put it there. I'll get to it later. It's not, it, it goes out. It can't come back in. There's they had all, a lot of rules on that. Which, and again, this is all for infection level. And mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a nice place to live for um, four four months, four or five, four or five, I can't remember at this point, but I know I was in the hospital for eight months total and across three different hospitals. So I think four at UMC, so February, March, April, May, and then I spent uh, June, July, and August in Torrance, and then I spent a month in Long Beach. So I ended up coming home from the hospital that I was born in. Whoa. Which was kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty nutty. And, and after being in um, UMC, which was a teaching hospital and also a public hospital. So it was kind of on the dirtier side. But again, like they saved, they saved lives over there. If you, there's nowhere else to go. Like if you get hurt anywhere within like a hundred miles of Las Vegas, like they're going to, they're the only option. Um, and I went to Torrance for like more recovery and, to be closer to home, but that was like living in a hotel because they're a private hospital and it was super nice and like really good food. And you're like, what do you want for dinner? I was like, well, what can I have? They're like, what do you want? Well, what can I have? They're like, what do you want? I'm like, I have a Hawaiian pizza. That's like, sure. Is it on the menu? No, we'll make it for you. Wow. I'm like, dude, I want a Hawaiian pizza. I ordered that shit. I'm sorry, I ordered like five <laughs> nights in a week. <laughs> you know, I mean, I. I went, I love Hawaiian pizza yeah. too. It's such an unpopular opinion from, uh, that that pineapple belongs on pizza. You know, before I got so hurt, good. I was 185 pounds. When I got hurt, I was 100. I just come back from Mount Everest. I went to. I was like one of my goals to do. I went with my friends. We had a destination wedding, and they got married at uh, um, the base of Mount Everest, right? And uh, and I was like on that whole three week journey of hiking from. We flew up to from Kathmandu up to this town and then hiked three weeks and I lost like eight pounds or six pounds but I was in really good shape which is probably that that probably would save my life because like a couple month or two later I was I got hurt and um and uh I went down to uh from like 185 when I got hurt down to like I think I was 118 in the hospital oh yeah and now I got it I got it all back um, and then some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many Hawaiian pizzas. Huh? <laughs> yeah, but I was, my, I was uh, where I was going to circle back with the story was I went from UMC, which is kind of on the dirtier side, but again, life saving, then to, to Torrance, which was like hotel flawless side, then to Long Beach. And the first night I spent the night in the in the Long Beach hospital, like this giant. I woke up at two or three in the morning, and this like giant cockroach just was like walking oh, across God. the wall. <laughs> and you know like i mean we're in long beach right now I, i'm from here i love it and i'm like oh just welcome home you know great great yeah, yeah. here we are what's yeah. up Gro- what's up roach do you name him <laughs> nah <laughs> oh god jose i don't know that was a big one i can imagine Damn, that's dude. how i felt at the Forgive me, VA, but that's what I thought of when I saw one of the roaches at the VA hospital. I was like, dang. What were you in the VA for? 
Oh, just when I got out. When I got out of the They service. have to do a checkup? Yeah, they got to do like checkups. And I stuff. still just go to the VA hospital. I don't even use my regular medical insurance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like the VA hospital here in LA. I like the clinics there. but yeah, They're pretty solid for the most part. Yeah, they're pretty hey, you solid. You know, I forgot. Like, were you, what were you, in the Army? Mm-hmm. I forgot that. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, Paratrooper me- over me- here. Me- Mexican Navy. Mexican <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, there's a NTSB report that's out that's, um, I think, pretty thorough. I read it. I thought they took a couple shots at me that were that were a little below the belt, to be honest with you. But, you know, that's their job. And, I mean, one, I'll just point out one because you know, I haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. But they said, oh, you know, a couple a months, couple months before the, um, the incident that um, the pilot uh, was unsatisfactory on a training flight. And I was like, you know, one, I don't remember ever being unsatisfied. We didn't talk about anything. We, I was flying with the training pilot, and he said yeah, we were doing 180 auto, auto rotations um, to hit a spot on the on the runway, and it was fairly windy, and we weren't hitting our spot exactly, neither of us. And we said, you know what, let's just discontinue this till um, tomorrow, and before your check ride, just come up and nail one. So that was our deal, and then I and then I read in the NTSB report that I was unsatted on a training maneuver a couple months before, and then flew the next day with a different pilot and was passed. I was like, "That's really not what happened." But if that's the mm. if that's what they want to put out there, then if that makes them feel better about making me um, that way, I mean, who, what pilot going on there? What pilot who flies anywhere hits their uh, who does a, an emergency procedures one time a year? ever hits their exact spot in like unusually windy conditions on a, you know, on a um, check ride prep on the, you know, maybe they all do. I don't know. I don't think so. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that, that was, I thought that was a little, a little off, but um, overall uh, I thought the report was fairly detailed, but um, yeah, I think um, we were just, uh, what I said in the, in, in the interview with them is was, it was it. And what I told in the interview with the Las Vegas um, Journal a long time ago was that it was just a normal, normal flight until it wasn't something you've done many, many times before. I think the report said um, I can't get the number, but I think it was something like eight hundred flights and five or six hundred landings in in that area. So I mean, I do know what I'm doing, and and when you have uh, helicopters pointed in multiple directions already down there, that kind of tells you. Um, that landings are being done from multiple directions and, you know, uh, when the windsock is obviously telling you one thing and then can switch pretty, pretty quickly, which is what we think happened is the wind was coming from one direction and then quickly shifted. And there's some downdraft combinations and, um, just kind of as you slowing down to set up for landing, the, uh, helicopters, like a sail, it just, um, spun and it became uncontrollable and, and um next thing we knew we were we were on the on the ground and I I was uh, fairly far away from the from the aircraft and my my pa- I remember my pants being on fire and I was um brushing my brushing my uh, legs to get the put the fire out and uh, I was in pretty bad shape my left leg was broken pretty bad but um other than that I was um conscious and then like I said earlier that there was a lady like giving me what I would call the last, like the last rites. She was over me praying. And, um, I remember that the EMS people showing up and trying to keep me going, um, until they could figure out how to get 
help down there. And I think it took something like seven hours or so I wasn't good. Um, but you know, it kind of circles back to right. The, the, the accident happened because, because of nothing that I did. It was just like, we could call it an act of God or something. And, um, but what could have been better? Yeah. Could there have been, um, the crash resistant fuel tanks on the aircrafts, which, you know, you can educate the audience on, maybe you could educate the audience on, um, on why there's not at the moment or why there doesn't have to be because of, um, certain, um, type ratings and built aircrafts built be certain, certain time frame. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We'll, we'll definitely go over that. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't those, um, fuel tanks on the aircraft, which would have been a, a great, uh, <laughs> great help for all of us. And I think that, um, I'm pretty confident that, that everybody would have, uh, would have, um, survived yeah, with the, um, you know, exception of like a, my broken leg or whatnot. I think we would have been in pretty good shape, um, if we would have had those fuel tanks on, on board. Um, so I hope that in the future that that's a, I know Papillon has already put, purchased and installed and if all the fleet, if not most of or all the fleet, mm-hmm. which they did at their own cost. And I really applaud them for that. And they're great people. And they've been great. The whole family has been great to me. Um, from, from before the accident, from day one working there all the way till now. And I, they still keep in, in touch with me and, and, um, I hope to, uh, to see them all again and under better circumstances, you know, yeah. as I recover, I mean, obviously I'm still, um, I learned a word, um, well, I was sure it's called ambulatory. It means walking. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Right. Um, as I get more ambulatory, you know, it's a good word. <laughs> I started in the, I started in the, um, not being able to move in bed to just being able to like roll from side to side. And then, then I could get into a wheelchair. And then after a while I got into, um, you know, I could, I could use a walker and well, I was with the help of, um, prosthetic legs, I, I could get into a walker and now I can walk with crutches and pretty soon I'm going to try to get to just a cane. And the people at rehab seem to think I could get down to just nothing, but I don't see that at all. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't see that. Well, well why do you say that? There's just too many hills and and driveways, and and you know when you just you stumble and you're just gonna topple right over real quick. So I just uh, I don't see uh, you know just taking the dog to the park and just walking up grass that's uneven. And without like some support from the ground with a cane or whatnot, I just don't think I could do it, but you know, they're positive and I'm just going to keep going and uh, just keep hitting it hard until we reach some point. I think it's a lot of strength too. You know, you have to do a lot of, a lot of stuff on your own. Um, There's no book for this stuff, right? They, you're, there's no manual. Yeah. (laughs) There's no manual for this. So um, for the, people that that don't know my injuries i was had a very low chance of survival um be mostly because of burns so the burns caused my um me to lose most of my left leg but uh, just like but only you know from the ankle down of my uh of my right leg but still that's both of your feet which is you know very un- unpleasurable and um very depressing and especially for coming from someone that's traveled to 50 plus countries and just came back from hiking to um sleeping at mount everest base camp was 
such a cool thing. And then, you know, like I said, a couple of months later, you're just like laying in bed dying. And, um, and, uh, yeah, like there's no manual for this. And I'm, and because of my injuries with the, uh, with the burns and, and the way the skin heals, there's just no way to wear traditional prosthetics at all. You can look, which is just the, what they call sockets where you slip them on your, your left leg and your right. And then you, you know, you have a sleeve and then you walk and, and it just kind of breaks down the skin. So you're only something you're only able to do for a short period of time, if not minutes. You, but now um, they've developed what's called uh, osseo integration, which basically just means integrating into the bone. And I have, um, um, uh, so that's the surgery that I had done um, post accident about a year, a little over a year ago, and that inserted the titanium rods into. Um, what's what's left of my femur on the left leg and then my tibia on the right leg so that allows me to no longer wear prosthetics as far as slip them on i could just click them on like a like you just click into your um into like ski boots or something like that and just and just go which is there's no more rubbing on the skin and and the the pain is um is pretty much non-existent no more skin breakdown so uh, that's a very positive thing so the distance is walking is is there's unlimited how far you can go. It's just how much strength you have and you know, what's left of your, in your muscles. So just building the muscles back, will will bring that back. Yeah, man. It's incredible. I mean, I, I just, what's incredible is that nobody, that all the doctors said, don't do it. Right. They're like, no, this won't work for you. No, the no, because <clears> they just don't do it in America. It's huge in Europe, huge in Australia. So I'm like, what am I going to sit on a plane to go to Australia for 16 hours to let some doctor that I'd never met, like drill into my, my into legs bones. and, and yeah. into my bones and just tap in some some rods. I'm like, and and I got to pay for that all out of pocket, and it's very expensive. So um, I was able to f- actually find someone that had done it in Australia, but they have a surgeon here in LA at Cedars that looks after them. So I contacted that doctor, and he said, "I said no, I'll do it. I've done it before, and I could do it for you. And you know, we'll get a great price for you because we want to help you. And you know, we're we're learning." too so if you'll take a chance with us and i'm like i met him one time and i said let's do it let's do it and yeah. yeah and um you know the recovery was pretty long and there's been a lot of ups and downs and um you know there still will be but but that was um you know i had to do it i had no choice it's either like be miserable or or be you know be in a wheelchair and i just can't do it i can't be and like i gotta stand up right and, you know and you, yeah. you uh, I can't stand Jose being taller than me. For <laughs> you, I, I, I just couldn't help but get so emotional seeing the video that you sent me the other day um, of you walking with your friends. Yeah, Kim was over here, and yeah. we just my wife Liz took took some video. She's, I'm like, let's just go for a walk, and then, um, yeah, I I wish that we could have done that without me leaning on her so much, but. You know, like I said, it's still a step, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, I seeing you go from being in a an induced coma in the hospital to not being able to move to where you are today, it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like, it's, it's been a th- over three years. It's pretty, amazing. A little over three years. Um, unbelievable. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected this. I, I wouldn't expect to be where I'm in now. And when I, yeah. It was, you were there. I, it was bad. And to go from there to, to here is pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, I met so many nice people and from, 
you know, Lizzie to all the doctors and all the care people. But, you know, the question you have to ask, and a lot of people, maybe they don't want to ask me, but I ask myself is like, would you give that all up? Like, would you, would you not, would you rather not know them and have your old life back? And, uh, you know, that's always a question that that's going to come up is like, would you give it, give up everything you've gone through and all the new people you meant to have your life back to go back to like five minutes before. So you could have like done something different with the aircraft or like, you know, decided not to land and just flow off or and maybe it still would happen. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But maybe, or just not gone to work that day. You know, those are, and you start going down those rabbit holes in your mind. It gets a bad place because yeah. you can't stop. Yeah, dude. I could totally get that. Yeah. Cause then you're going to go back to, well, you know, what if, cause my aunt had died a week before. And so I didn't, I switched my schedule at work to go be, um, with them. And then my girlfriend's brother had died like two weeks before that in a, in a car accident in San Diego. So I had like, I'd taken a bunch of time away from work to go down to San Diego and then up to Long Beach so I can go to the funerals and stuff. And then I went back to Las Vegas. So then you're saying like, what if those people hadn't died, then would I still be hurt? Right. So you could play that game all day long. It's bad. It's bad. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most important thing is um, staying present and not, not going back to the what ifs because it doesn't matter. Right. Like all, all we have is the present and what to look forward to. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, it was a blessing well, sorry. <laughs> it was a blessing at the time that I wasn't working. I'm so glad that I was able to have so much time to be able to come and spend some time with you in there. I don't know if you even remember me being there half the time, but oh, it yeah. doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember. I think you were even there once when I had like when the um, it might have been you. I'm pretty sure it was you, but my uh, like the catheter that they had in me like like wasn't working, and it was like all backed up, and I was I was trying to like pee and it was hurting so bad and I was like crying oh, no. and, and uh, I think it was either you or like Vanita or somebody or was in my room and and I, they were just looking at me and I'm just like these tears in my eyes I'm like it hurts so bad oh. <laughs> and then the doctors like come in they're like oh we'll just take it out they just ripped, ripped it out just ripped like this thing out you're like oh and then you know because they put it in when you're not awake <laughs> yeah. So, so when you are awake, they got to put it back in, and it's not good. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, oh uh, yeah. Well, you know, I had um when I awoke, I had the tubes in in all the the areas because of the uh, the burns. They they couldn't they couldn't chance you like you know going to the bathroom by yourself and getting the wounds infected. So they did their best to just yeah, catch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't imagine. Yeah, it was an incredible to see just your, like the little victories along the way, you know, that, that keep you going. Yeah. And uh, like little... from, the, from the time you're able to actually be awake to getting the trach out and, you know, these little it's, steps. It's, it teaches you patience. That's one thing you, you, I don't know if I had a lot of patience before I got hurt, but it just teaches you because they'll say, we're going to do this operation in two weeks and you can't move. Like, cause nowhere I could go. I had so many tubes in me and whatnot. I couldn't go anywhere for, for two weeks. So I would lay there just looking at the clock like 24 hours a day. And then all of a sudden the, the date would come and they'd say, we're going to push it back two days. I mean, that just mm. would break your heart, man. Yeah. And then the day of, they'd say, we're going to, we're going to do it. We'll be there at um, six in the morning to prep you for surgery. So we can't give you any food tonight. 
And then 6 a.m. would come, no one would come. Then 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., noon, 2 o'clock. Okay, they'll be here in 15 minutes. An hour later, they show up. You know, so you're, it's just, mm, it's just, you, yeah, it's a game and, and you just have to, um, you, you're there at their mercy. Yeah. And, um, how many surgeries total did oh, you go uh, through? Yeah, I don't know, know. 50 plus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, quite a few. I mean, just for this, for the skin grafts in the initial days and weeks, it's a lot. And then it kind of tapers down. Yeah. Yeah. So I I know you already mentioned that they gave you a very low chance of survival. That I remember some numbers getting thrown out there at one point two percent, three percent chance, like <laughs> ridiculous. Like yeah, you know nobody, none of us knew if you were going to pull through. There's a scale that I learned about later. It has something to do with your age and the percent of your body that's burned. And since I was 41 at the time, and 70 percent estimated burns, so they take that number 70 plus. 41. And if it's like over a hundred, you're pretty much not going to live. That's what they, that's That's kind of, that's what I, that's what I read. I could be, I could be wrong. We should do some research on it, but, but it's like, there's a, it's the name somebody, whoever invented it, it's their name and Mm -hmm. it's a scale. So, um, so it, it was very, it was very low. And, um, did yeah. they tell you that in the hospital or did so, they keep that information kind of like, so uh, that you don't lose that, that part, spirit. I, that part I found out later, um, from some nurses that treated me who later became my friends. But one of the doctors told me in the hospital that, um, that it's a miracle that, that I love, so, that I'm alive. Absolute miracle. They had, they had, um, they said they all thought there was no way. What yeah. were, what were some of the things that got you through it? Do you, well, can you pinpoint re- anything? Really quick. They said yeah, that, sure. um, they said that, um, they had a meeting to debate how much care they should, they should give me because that had, they, the couple of the doctors said, there's no, there's no way it's, it's, it's going to be a waste of effort. And I guess like a couple of doctors, thank God on, on, we're on the other side of that. Yeah. Thing. Man. And they, they said, well, his lungs are okay. So let's put him on the breathing machine and let that energy that would go to breathing, like focus and on other stuff on healing, mm, on healing. But yeah, what got me through, um, I don't know. I've never really been, I've never really given up on, on anything. And, um, I think I was way more optimistic than I should have been. Like, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm just going to get right back out there and, and it's going to be fine. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to be in the, in a wheelchair. I'm not going to be in pain. I'm, I'm just going to go and I'll get out of here. Like, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be the, my friends were having an event at the, um, at the win in, in, um, in April. And I think I was in the hospital still in Vegas cause they'd come over and visit me. And I'd, I'd say, you know, I'm going to come to the event and I'm going to see everyone. There's no, there was no way. There was no way, but it's just my brain kept thinking that I'm not hurt. And I, I mean, to this day, I never still feel like, I mean, I don't even like to park in the handicap spot. I mean, I have a wheelchair accessible van that requires me to go in through the side. So if I, so it's hard to park in a regular parking spot when I take the wheelchair, because I, I, if someone parks next to me, I can't get in and out of the car. I have to go through, I'd have to only go through the, um, the, the, the pat, the front seat. Right. So now that I'm taking the walker uh, or the crutches, I feel much better about like dry. I don't even, I won't even use the handicap spot if I don't need, I don't care about being close. I only care about getting out of the side of the, yeah, yeah. getting out of the side. Right. So, um, yeah, 
I think that what gets you through or what got me through is, is just so many people, you guys, all the pilots and um, my family and just, just, just a lot of, um, I had a lot of good medical care that was provided by, um, by the insurance company. They, they, they provide what's called like a catastrophic case manager that, that deals with the worst cases of the worst. And mine was like the worst of the worst, right? They, they don't, they don't, they don't normally have people like what happened to me survive. So they, I had like somebody that would come and visit me all the time and they go take me to my appointments and was really nice and, um, you know, helped, helped my, my, um, family get through it. Cause I didn't, um, I was seeing someone at the time of my accident, but they were in San Diego and it was, it would be unfair to think that they were going to take care of me or anything. So that was, um, that was quickly wrapped up while I was hurt, but I had to go back and live with my parents and I haven't lived with them for decades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my dad's much older and he's got, um, dementia and my, my mom's taking care of me and him. And, you know, I moved into like the living room in our house and, uh, just, it was, it was, um, you know, once you get home from the hospital, there's no one left to tell you when to get up, tell you when to go to rehab, tell you when to take a medicine. You're just on your own. And I think that's when the lowest of the lowest, um, kicked in for me when I was the most depressed and the most sad and the most suicidal and most everything was when I finally got home and didn't have the visitors. Cause I got a visitor every day. I was in the hospital for almost eight and a half months. I was visited every day, even if it was 10 o'clock at night and I hadn't, and hadn't had a visitor all day. Like someone, I remember like my cousin, Mike would pop in the room at like 10 o'clock at night in Torrance. And I'd say, wow, man, I didn't think I was going to get a visitor today. And he's like, no, I was just, I was down at, they own a bar in Torrance. So he's like, I was down at the bar. I thought I'd come see you. I was like, that's great. But when you're home, you know, now it's like, you got your mom there. And I mean, I was just in bad, bad shape living at home. And I didn't think I was going to make it. I really didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what I did to snap out of it. I, I can't put my finger on it, but, um, having the, uh, the, the visualization of getting the osseo integration surgery, which is like I said before, um, instead of wearing the prosthetics, they insert the titanium rods into your bones and that allows you to click in rather than, um, rather than then slip them, then on, slip them on and break down your skin and be really uncomfortable and press on the bones. And it's just, a, and it's so uncomfortable. They're so painful and so uncomfortable. Um, so I think keeping my eye on that, and then, um, um, I think that just helped. And then, um, you know, reconnecting with Liz, um, from the hospital. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. So you already mentioned that you became pretty close with one of your nurses. Yeah. In well, we, Vegas. We, we were, she was the nurse that was there when I woke up in the hospital and, and, you know, it was pretty shocking cause she was in there and she's like, what do I say? I don't, she didn't even know what she could tell me, what I was allowed to know. I found all this out later, right? And then I remember she used to work nights, and I just always look forward to her coming in because she's just so, just such a kind person, and she she was smart and cute, and she had all kinds of funny stories, and she knew a lot about um, the restaurant industry and um, and um, marketing for restaurants, and it just interests me. And she used to be a, a restaurant manager at one of the nice restaurants in Vegas, and she was a sommelier, and I remember her saying. 
oh, when we get discharged, I'll bring in a nice bottle of whiskey and and um, and we'll have a drink. And I said, that's nice. And I think I got discharged before I ever saw her again. And then one day I got a really nice note from her in the mail. And uh, it was just really awesome. And I happened to be going to Vegas like two weeks later for to go see my friends that were working at an event at the um, at the, again at the uh, at the win. And I wrote her back and I said, I would I'd love to um, come in and see you guys again. And so I went to the hospital to UMC in the middle of the day and and I went and saw everyone. I even saw like some nurses I was really not really really thrilled with. Or, you know, but I was cool and, and I, I said, you know, you guys could have been a little more lenient with the pain meds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I got to Torrance, they Cough hooked it, it up. up. Cough it yeah, up. I'm like, when I got to Torrance, I got a pain doctor. Nice. I got a pain nurse. I'm like, you guys are stiff. <laughs> and you guys like caused me a lot of pain. Oh man. And um yeah, I'd be like, I mean, look at my body and look at what I went through, and then like you're gonna you're gonna like give me like one milligram of morphine before a dressing change. I mean, come on. I go to Torrance, they're like, whatever you need. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> every, every hour on the hour, push that. So yeah, so I go to visit them and we take some pictures and then I, I run into one of the doctors and same doctor that before he, he actually, he called me and left him a voicemail. He left me a voicemail and says like, you're an absolute miracle. You're one of our, our best cases we ever remember because nobody thought you were going to make it. He surprised us all. And, um, so they said, Oh, she'll be here on, um, like Friday or Saturday night. Come back. And so I just made a note to come back and, and then I came back and, and I said, uh, I said, yeah, I got your, your letter it was so sweet. Didn't you get mine? I wrote you back. And she's, oh, we, we haven't checked the mail yet. And I said, we, oh, of course she's married. And then she said, no, I, I staying with my mom right now. I was like, oh, well, why don't you come visit me in Long Beach? You should come over here and hang out. And, uh, so she did. And, and, uh, yeah, we spent some time together in Las Vegas and, you know, looking at me and everything I've been through and, 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 um, you know, my body and stuff, it's, it's like, I don't even like looking at my, what's left of myself in the mirror sometimes or after a shower, I'm like, man, I look pretty scarred up and it's pretty bad. But then like, you know, who, who's gonna, who more to love you than a burn nurse. Right. So I think I got lucky. It's amazing. Yeah. That is awesome, dude. And you know, man, I never, I never got to tell you, or I don't think I've ever have, but dude, I got nothing but love for you, dude. Thanks, you know? my brother. I love yeah. you too. You know, and, um, you just you have a lot of grit and yeah. But remember what I was saying before. I I, I appreciate that, and I I love hearing. But remember, I was, I was I was saying like I go to boxing, and they're just they're like I'm gonna take a picture of you and put it on. Um, I'm gonna put this picture up on the uh, the our Instagram or something because I want to show the um, the other guys that aren't cutting it that they need to come in here because you're doing it. They need to be in here every day, and you know I, I've been doing some more reading and research and articles by some handicapped or disabled people. I'm not even sure the term of what I'm supposed to call myself because I don't feel hurt. You know, like I'm still do everything I used to do except, you know, I mean, I'm not stand up paddle boarding and I'm not running on the beach and stuff, but you know, that's overrated. I don't need to, I don't need to work out. I mean, I don't think you you work out. You still work out. You're not working out, no. (laughs) Dude, Jose's been hitting it lately, actually. He's been going on his morning runs and bike rides. Yeah, well, you know, I got a a gym in the garage. I got a bike you pedal on. I got a recumbent bike. I have a a bike you pedal with your hands. And we just live right here by the beach, so that's seven miles of bike path. Yeah. So we just go right down there and 
do the do the whole thing on so I mean I'm getting some ex- definitely getting some exercise. Um so full circle Liz is now his fiance. Yeah, we just say mm-hmm. we just say it's so much easier to say wife. We just Or wife. Yeah, yeah okay. Cuz so I gave cuz I gave cuz I gave, her, I, gave her, I gave her both rings already. Nice. So like I gave her the the nice rock and then I gave her I said, "Well, why don't you just have the band too because it just looks better together." Yeah. So we just go we just went all in and then Yeah, your wifey. Yeah, it's just easier and She's incredible. She doesn't want to go anywhere. I was I'm like, "Don't you want I'm like, "Are you sure you want to do it with me?" She's like, yeah. And our next house, we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, she's already planning for the next house. And you yeah. guys just got this one. <laughs> I know. I know. We've it's a done, beautiful house. Thank, I love this house. Thank you. Um, we've been working on it for uh, about 14 or 15 months. So it's it's like every day. There's like last week, it was the garbage disposal that that exploded. And uh, like, home ownership. Yeah. It's <laughs> I liked renting because. Um, that was that was that was exciting. I'm I'm like, hey, John, my heater's not working. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get over there and take care of that right away. I'm like, I'm, that's great because you know you have to because it's the law <laughs> belongs to you. <laughs> oh, but if, if you ever do leave, man, and you don't want that painting, you let me know. It's got so, your name on it. I'll scoop that up. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it has Jose you know written those, all over it. You know, we could do some research. Online and see if we can find that artist. There might be a duplicate out there. Yeah, What's probably. six fingers? <laughs> uh, so it's uh, a Hispanic man playing guitar, wearing a sombrero, and Jose got a similar piece commissioned by an artist who ended up sending him a photo or a, a painting of a woman playing the guitar, and she had six fingers. <laughs> so he calls up the artist. He's like, "Yo." This well, girl has six fingers. <laughs> well, what I just what I just noted about about my painting is that it's abstract. Is that a <laughs> yeah? Exactly. It's that, that's not a guitar. I never realized that's not a guitar. That's only got four strings. Oh, oh. Is that a qual? Is that a qualifying characteristic of a guitar? It has to have. Yeah, guitar's got to have t- six or twelve strings. Got it. Or I mean, they do make seven string guitars as well. Mm-hmm, but not four. But uh, six is the, obviously by far the standard that 99% of guitars are. You very rarely you'll find a seven-string guitar that some like speed metalist has had commissioned. And um, and 12 strings, of course, because it gives you that nice full sound. But um, uh, that that I think is a ukulele because mm-hmm. it has four. But, um, you know, you asked me, but I could tell you again what, what I thought um, helped me maybe get through some stuff is is my uh, my music love. I mean, I went when I was in college, I had a um I went after this this uh degree pursuit of um audio engineering and music theory and and um I finished in around 2000 with that and I've always loved music. That's why we got the piano in here now and um we had to put we had to add the the baby grand from the 20s to go with the house was from the 20s, but my guitars, I've just loved collecting and playing guitar for forever since I think I've had like my bought my first guitar when I was like 14 years old and um I had two or three by the time I was 16 and then like five it's just it's like a it's like a passion I just can't stop and I and I can't it's hard for me to get rid of one you're supposed to have a rule when you get enough that like one comes in one goes out Mm -hmm. um but it's usually like two in one out or three in one out and I've I've honestly only sold one in the last couple in the last decade. I've only sold one. I mean, I got, I'm always so impressed by your collection. It's insane. How many guitars do you have in here? I, quite a few. I think uh, 
I think there's probably like um, maybe 15 in here and yeah, 17 another, that I've counted. There's oh, 18, well, there's 19. Eight, then there's um, then there's four more in my in my bedroom. So you've got like so, 24 guitars, 23 and, guitars. In the garage and then in like workshop, there's probably about 20 more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's insane. Do you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, they're, they're all, my favorites are in my bedroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so what more. you, so what you see out here is just, uh, these are, these are just for, for love. Like, I have beautiful. like, I have my section, I have my Jose section over there. Like, yeah, dude, I noticed, I was like digging the, the graphics on a couple of those other guitars. Yeah, the, those are the, the Alvarez, those, um, made in Mexico. They spoke to me. Yeah. Hecho in Mexico. And, uh. Yeah. So, so which th- ones are your favorites? The ones that are the ones that you keep in the bedroom. Um, I have a, uh, I have a, a guitar that that Liz and her mom got me for Christmas. That's a it's a it's a Takamini nylon string acoustic that I just, it's so easy to play because my my fingers are I'm still recovering with my 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 hands. I mean, there was a time in when I in the hospital I couldn't even grip a tennis ball. So yeah. that that and, and my fingers are you know I've got kind of burns on my hands. So the my fingers are still a little gent a little soft. So um, that's a ni- that nylon string. Um, talk to me is really nice on the string. Um, my hands and easy to play. And then I have a um, I have a Paul Reed Smith um, John Mayer um, signature, which is it's just like playing a Strat but faster. Um, it's really fun to play. And um, I have a I have a Fender jazz bass in there. So because you gotta have a bass. You know, slap at the bass. It's just like a guitar, but with four strings. <laughs> Have, uh, I mean, do you think that the, I mean, other, other than the emotional aspect of music, I mean, there's no denying that music aids in mental recovery, yeah. depression and mental health. It does. Do you think that helped physically with your hands as well? Oh, yeah. Like practicing, oh, like, you were always practicing the guitar. Yeah. Like, every I, single time I saw you. Yeah. Just um, hitting it. I just, I think my playing got, if anything got better, my, my, yeah, of this accident, my, my um my patience improved greatly. My um guitar playing has has compounded in skill greatly because um you know there was a point when I was I was just really depressed and I wasn't leaving the house and I would try to like, you know, medicate myself to sleep most of the day when the sunlight was out. I just didn't want to be outside. I didn't want people to see me. I didn't I didn't want people to see me without my full body the way I used to look before. Cause it's hard to be, you know, so active and, and everywhere and so full of, you know, so happy and full of life. And you know, I wasn't acting. I was really happy. I, and I had a great life and, and to have that all just disappear. It was really, really hard. And, and I still feel a little self-conscious, definitely self-conscious. Like if I'm out in the wheelchair, I feel like, you know, everybody's staring at me. If I go to if we go to Costco, I have to ask people to help get me stuff. So I'm really trying to get out there with the um, with the crutches and the walker. And no, the men- mentally, um, I think so. The guitar definitely helped getting my my uh, my hands back in order, my brain, and then give me a purpose. Right, like I wanted to write some new music and work on some medleys, and I've been um, spending a lot of time uh, taking some of my favorite songs that I've ever played from, from everyone from Van Halen to, I don't know, the Grateful Dead, just name like, to even like Skid Row. I mean, like I've just been taking all my favorite guitar players and bands and just mashing them, changing the, the tune of um, the key of some of the songs and just mashing them all into a medley so I can, I can run through like 10 to 15 songs in a row. 
but medley them all together so it sounds like one like 15 minute song nice. which <laughs> I, I think is kind of fun and, yeah um, dude, that's cool yeah i um i saw some guys that when i was i was flying helicopters around the lake of the ozarks in uh, i believe 2012 summer of summer of 2012 i believe or 2011 i can't remember but I, I'd go to this bar at night you know, by my house to just listen to some music, and and these guys would be there, and they'd they'd play, um, they'd medley some tunes together. These two um, guitar players from from uh, St. Louis, and I was like, I never thought to put those two songs together. And the guys playing like, I don't a song we even had in the helicopter by um, Lights by um, oh, Ellie, yeah. Gould, Ellie Goulding. Mm-hmm. They're playing Lights on the guitar like right into some poison song or something but they were they were and they were singing the lyrics to one song over that song and it was i was like damn that works yeah it shouldn't work it It shouldn't work work, but but it does yeah and i mean i've seen djs do that but i've never seen like guitar players um do it live with with um taking country and and hip-hop and rock and like mixing it together i thought it was pretty cool yeah i think um i think whatever gets you by for therapy what, what if it's if it's anything whatever's going wrong in your life if it's music if it's working out if it's just going for walks by yourself if it's watching tv like a vegetable like watching all 84 episodes of the sopranos whatever whatever it is, <laughs> is that what that, you did with the I've, sopranos? Done it, I've done it before <laughs> yeah that's how i know that's there's a, 84 that, of them that's a good show well, yeah i gained like 10 pounds i didn't leave the house for a week is that just when eating, you're eating italian them? food hawaiian, <laughs> that's when you're eating your hawaiian yeah. pizza <laughs> those were some good pizzas. tony soprano would roll in his grave <laughs> Hawaiian, I Hawaiian love, pizza. I do love. Uh, I do love Tony, man. That's a great character. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. I couldn't. Uh, I, you couldn't ask for a better show. We used to have it literally just playing on the boat when I was in the Coast Guard, just on a loop. It was anytime you went out to the mess deck, it would just be on the TV at all times. I always thought the intro to that show was like the best. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of interviews where people say. You know, I heard that. I heard that. I heard that music start, and then I get excited. Excited, and I go, I get the drink. I get my I get my drink ready. I get on the couch, get it going. I get excited. I get amped up. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it just. I don't know. Every time I heard that song, I was just like, "Dang!" Yeah, he's like, "Woke up this morning, got my yeah." I love it, dude. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I I don't even remember who those guys are, but I know like one of the producers or showrunners of that show found that song, and they're like, "This is the song." Gosh, thank you so much for sharing. I actually think that this could really help a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's a going back to kind of kind of some things that you were talking about with um, just maintaining your mental health and your survival. And I know you said you can't really pinpoint exactly what helped to get you through it, but having things to look forward to, like it was a group, of, things. A, I, a group know, of things, right? Yeah, like I had course. you, I had you guys, I had my parents. I had um the you know I have a daughter that I want to see her um, finish school. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about Catalina. Yeah, yeah, I want to see her. Gra- she's about to graduate, so I want to see her finish school, um, uh, get married, all that stuff. So those are those are things you know. Someday, I, I I could actually with the the technology that we have now that I'm using and just keep keep pounding, keep grinding, keep walking, keep try. I could actually like with some assistance, maybe at least like walk her down the aisle. If she chooses to Heck do something yeah. like that, which would be, which would be great because like in the hospital, that's what people were telling me. They're like, you need to hang on for this person and this person. And you know, I, maybe I was being selfish. I probably only thought about, I don't, I don't even, I can't even really tell you what I was thinking about, but um, 
yeah, there's there there is a lot to live for, and but it's okay to be depressed too. It's okay mm-hmm. because bad things happen, and it's okay. Like yeah. there's no reason why you can't be sad or sulk or be or go through hell because you are going through hell. So you don't have to like try to fake it. Just own it, and and hopefully you know you'll pull out of it. And I mean, I think that if I can help other people that have gone through similar things to me that, that survived horrific accidents that shouldn't be here. Um, if I could help motivate them to not stay in bed all day, just like, okay, stay in bed today, but get out tomorrow for like one day. Um, you know, that would be, that would be great. Um, I think that's important because I don't need to motivate you guys. You guys are you guys are motivated. I don't need to motivate people at the gym, like the guys at the boxing gym. Like, oh, look at Scott. He can stand up and hit the speed bag. I'm not there to motivate those guys. Like, I need to help people that are like me that see they have, think they have no way out. Because when I was in the hospital and so sad and depressed, some guys came in to visit me that had been through house fires and, um, been through like a really tragic accidents and they had lost like arms and legs. And sometimes like both the guy came in and had lost both arms and, and a leg in the fire. And he's showing me like, he's like, look, man, if I can do this, look what you're going to be able to do. And you have like, you know, you have your knee and you know, you have both hands, you're going to be good. And I didn't see it until, until at then. But it sure helped. Like it, it just brightened up my day. So, I mean, now with um, COVID, it's hard to go and see people that are in bad places because they just won't let you in. But when this gets sorted out, I would like to try to start doing that more because I do mm-hmm. know a lot of people will work in the hospitals around here in the burn units, and they um they want me to come in. And people from Nevada, from UMC in Las Vegas, still reach out to me. And they say, they say, we have a patient in here that's pretty down. Like, would you be willing to talk to him? And I'm like, of course, give him my number. And so I've done that a couple of times, which is, uh, which is cool. Um, one, one even survived, was a survivor in a plane crash hmm. and in Vegas. And, uh, so I, I um, talked to him for a little bit and, um, I said, what do you, well, I, I said, man, I remember talking to him. I said, wait, you got burned. But you got both your legs, both your arms, and your face is good. He's like, "Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. You, you got you're it. good, man. Yeah, I'm you're, like, good. you're good. I'm you're good. I'm all. I'll text you a couple pictures of me, and you'll you'll see. So um, that helped him. Like seeing, it's 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 strange, but seeing someone that's worse off than you in your time of need, seeing someone that's worse off than you surviving, that's showing you you can do it. It helps you because it, it helped me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to sound morbid or or whatever. I don't mean to put that in a bad way. No, I don't, no, think, I don't think that it you know. Comes off that way at all. Yeah, I just like you're like, look at the special kid. He's trying his shoes. You should be able to tie your shoes too. I'm not saying that. That's yeah, yeah. that's that's over the top. But I'm <laughs> no, but I mean on a on a deeper level. Of, like I said, I, I think just seeing not that you're alive and living, but you're thriving. I like just seeing where you're at right now. You have a beautiful, beautiful wife, Liz. Hi. <laughs> she just came back into the house. You just got a dog. 
Yeah, this really, really freaking cute dog named uh, Phil. <laughs> that's Liz's son. So cute. This amazing house, all of these beautiful guitars, a passion that you're living for. Uh, we have a golf cart. And a golf cart, <laughs> living I, um, in a really prime yeah. neighborhood no, in, the, in Long Beach. It's I in mean. the garage. We oh, can yeah? take it for yeah, a Yeah, yeah, I want to check it out. I, um, we, uh, I used to ride motorcycles before I got hurt. I was a big um, motorcycle lover and I had a boat, a little small. It wasn't big. It was just nice to cruise, cruise around the bay in. So um, things I could no longer do is um, ride my, my Honda 650 dirt bike, a dual sport, had a license plate, and my, um, my Harley um, 2003 Dyna Superglide. It was, it's, uh, it's Jax Teller's bike before there was a Jax Teller. Nice. Because yeah, I didn't buy it to be you no know, Sons of Anarchy guy. But, <laughs> okay, Jax. Yeah. But it, 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 it didn't, it, it, Calm didn't down. it didn't look like that, but it, he had it, he had that bike modified to look like his, like the way his does, which would look cool. It looked cool, but after he did it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah. do it. But anyway, um, no, I sold them. My, my, um, my friends, um, my friends helped me out and sold, sold all my things that I couldn't use anymore. And we bought, um, we bought the golf cart because I can cruise that really easily, and you now it's nice. It's nice to you could still get a little wind in your in your hair, which is which is what's really nice. I'm I'm actually um, looking at motorcycles again. Um, they make an automatic one because I I think I'd have trouble shifting with my feet, shifting. but they mm-hmm. they do make an automatic one by Honda, and um, and the only thing would be how do you uh, how do you stop it. Right, you don't have to like right. hold you, it up. Or how do you it stop it at the stoplight? Because they're you know it's about six hundred pounds. Right. Um, so I'm looking at like sidecars and things like that. And then you could put Phil on the sidecar. Well, you could put Phil on the. <laughs> That'd be so cute. Yeah, he's a, he's crazy. He loves putting his hair. He'll stick his head out the window, out the golf, anything. He's he's supposed to be a what's called a Pomsky, so a Pomeranian Husky, but um, we think he, we got ripped off. We think he's a full Husky. <laughs> he, he already weighs sixty pounds. He looks just like a husky. So we think that the Craigslist people uh, kind of gypped you yeah, on that. Yeah, we think they bamboozled were, you. Yeah, he's he's got these eyebrows that yeah. are just the cutest. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to put a picture yeah, of him we'll, on the post. Yeah, we'll put a picture. <laughs> of him. Man, he looks a lot like my old dog. He's got um, pretty blue eyes. We're being um, shamed often because we got his haircut. He loves his haircut, but people think that they need to tell us that you should never cut the husky's hair. And we just say, okay, thank you. I'd like at this point, it's like if the 20th person tells us. Tells you that you shouldn't cut their hair. Yeah. You know, for- Too bad he likes it and it keeps our house super clean. Yeah. And it's hot here. Well, <laughs> the, the argument is that the top coat keeps them cooler. Cooler. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a border collie mix and people would tell me that all the time too, but we lived in Las Vegas and honestly... He was so much happier when we would shave him. So, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, so I'm going to have to start going to the dog park with her so I can use my my wit on them. (laughs) (laughs) And you have that in spades. (laughs) Not as much as Jose does, but... No way, dude. You you got me beat. Every time time we met over there at the pilot lounge, you'd always come back with a witty comment. You just got to translate yours from some Spanish to English really quick. (laughs) There's the guy. There's the guy. Dude. It's really good to see you guys. So do you have any plans of flying in the future? Are you thinking you want to get back up there yeah my friend paul who's um was with me so much in the hospital he's been a a good friend forever he's got a um 
he's got a, a couple helicopters in his hangar in um, Fullerton. And so we're just figuring out right now, like, how can I get in? Because he's got a, um, he's got a, a 500 that's literally impossible for me to get into with the super high skids. And then he's got a, um, a B2 that, that actually could be something I could fit in. So we'll just see. I, I'd like to. Um, I don't think flying by myself is ever an option again. Also, I don't have a medical. So um, there's a couple steps I'd have to take to, to even get a third class medical again. Um, it requires, uh, I, I'm still look do, do some more research into it, but for what I understand, I have to go do a flight with, um, with, um, an AME. Yeah. With a, with a, um, not with, uh, someone from the FISDO uh-huh. and show them that I can manipulate the controls. That's if you want to get a, um, second class. But if I just want to get a third class, I think I can just get one from the, I can just go back and get one, which was, which yeah, would be yeah. fine. It's more fun to fly with someone else anyways. I, I never, you know, <laughs> it, it really is. I never liked flying by myself and then, and, and which I rarely had to do anyway. But once in a while I'd have to ferry an aircraft uh, by myself. And I was just like, no, this is kind of cool. But I was really like. Having company, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love um, aviation. So amazing. It's so fun. And it's so, we're so blessed and fortunate to be able to do what we do or did and um it's i'm so happy you guys are still doing it and i hope you do it for as long as you want and have a long successful career i wish um i wish i was every day i i wish all my friends that are flying the ems ships around the country and world i wish that i could i could be there with them i something i always wanted to do and uh but that doesn't mean that you can't still find new passions and and you know, there's a, a term that they always use in the hospital. They'd say, "Oh, well, this is going to be your new normal." And I'm like, "I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to hear anything about new normal. Like, don't tell me what I can't do. Like, I never thought I'd be able to, you know, use my hands again because I couldn't even grip a tennis ball. And you know, I never thought I would stand up again. I never thought I'd walk again. So I'm doing things that pretty much I didn't think I'd be like. I mean, people don't even believe I'm alive, right? So mm. you know, you just have to. If you listen to other people or worry about what other people say, you're just going to be miserable and sad. And if you worry about what other people think, and even I have to do a better job about that. Like I don't like going out in my wheelchair now that I can walk. I don't want anyone to see me see me in the wheelchair because I'm like I don't want people to think I'm in a wheelchair. I want to I want them to see me walking. So, but you know what? Who cares, right? Everybody's on their own journey. Everybody's on their own who, journey. Who cares what other people think? Right. And <laughs> yeah, for all the helicopter pilots, future helicopters listening, it's no. Shame to do DoorDash, to drive Uber, to I cannot tell you how many pilots I know have delivered food, delivered pizzas, driven Uber in the last decade because they're just were not getting the hours or the pay um in the industry. So suck it up and you will get your you will get where you want to go. Yeah, dude, there's no shame. Even this year, like I said, I was driving DoorDash and Postmates and but it was more um more so to fund my skydiving endeavors. <laughs> This supplement the money for that, but um, yeah, no shame. It's actually kind of fun. You just throw on your favorite tunes and driving around, and yeah. find. Actually, it was a great way to find all the good restaurants in town because once you started getting deliveries from the same restaurants, you're like, all right, it smells really yeah. good in here. When I got like, my- found the best spots to get a nice burger or whatever. When I yeah. got my flight instructor rating. I think my first job was driving a town car, picking people from the airport in a white suit with a black tie. 
Nice, fancy. With my college degree and everything, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do because this is what lets me work at night. And then I can do like flying during the day. I didn't know that you like don't get paid to sit around the office waiting for a student to come in. I thought like, wait, I got to be here all day and not get paid? Yeah. That doesn't work. Oh, yeah, it does. (laughs) Everybody does it. That's what you got to do. This is been absolutely incredible thank you so much for sharing your story i'm so glad to see you guys thank you for coming your uh your mental strength your um (laughs) your courage your just sheer willpower to survive and thrive and starting to you know do amazing things and i know you're going to be an inspiration to a lot of people out there and um thank you for trusting us with your story yeah thank you yeah we love you love you guys love you too big dog Let's talk crash-resistant fuel tanks. This is a very important subject. We want you guys to be informed of what crash-resistant fuel systems are, why they're important, and a little bit of a history behind them. So what we are using for reference is the Federal Aviation Administration's Helicopter Occupant Safety Toolkit, which can be found on the FAA website. Uh, You can just Google it. And we're literally just going to read off of this document. So all of the credit goes to the FAA for providing this information. Helicopters equipped with crash-resistant fuel systems, crash-resistant seats, and structures provide the highest level of protection for pilots and passengers. A crash-resistant fuel system increases the likelihood of surviving a helicopter crash due to reduced threat of injuries from fire. Crash-resistant seats and structures increase the probability of surviving the initial collision from an accident. And now Jose is going to tell you guys a little bit of a background about the CRFS. Crash-resistant fuel systems increase safety for occupants by decreasing or delaying a post-crash fire, which is amazing. Systems that meet the FAA regulatory requirements minimize fuel leaks and lessen fuel ignition sources. Crash-resistant fuel systems are required for all helicopter models that were built certified after 1994. However, the requirement did not apply to newly built helicopters if the original design was certified before 1994. Most newly built helicopters continue to be those certified before 1994. As a result, nearly 25 years later, a low percentage of U.S. helicopters, about 15%, meet the regulatory requirement. Question 1. Which helicopters will require a crash-resistant fuel system? So all helicopters manufactured after April 5th, 2020 will require crash-resistant fuel systems, no matter when the models were originally certified. So that's a big change. Question number two. Do older helicopters need to be retrofitted with crash-resistant fuel systems? The FAA reauthorization law of 2018 does not require retrofits. Question numero tres. Does the legislation address the installation of crash-resistant seats in older helicopters? Nope. The legislation does not address this. However, all helicopter models certified after 1989 must have crash-resistant seats and structures. And question number four. How many fatalities have occurred because of a post-crash fire after a helicopter accident. So there were 58 deaths from 2009 to 2017 attributed to fire that occurred after a helicopter accident, a number that could definitely be way reduced with the installation of these systems. And again, 
operators might be hesitant to install these into their aircraft because they're very expensive and they also add weight. So that decreases the amount of useful load that they can put in the helicopters, which in helicopters is a pretty big deal. It Um, also takes the aircraft out of its active role with the company because of how long it takes to retrofit the aircraft. Yep. So there's always that potential to lose revenue for the company. But I know manufacturers like Airbus are implementing a lot of incentive programs to incentivize operators to retrofit their aircraft, such as trade-in programs, et cetera. So hopefully uh, we'll see an increase in that percentage in the near future. We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode that concludes season number one. Thank you guys so much for your support and your listens and your downloads, your comments, your reviews. This has been so much fun doing this for you guys. We're going to recoup. We're going to get some more interviews on the books for you. And we'll announce when we release season number two. Thank you guys again and enjoy the rest of your days, the rest of your week. We love you and we'll catch you next time on the Forever on the Fly podcast. Bye.